Welcome to Catholic Stuff You Should Know, a J10 initiative. All right, here we go. Cheers. Are we sure that It looks pretty good. I kind of listened to a little bit of the Cheers. other one, the uh, live cast from Bernardi. Yeah. And it was, I, th- I thought the levels were okay. I think Becca did a good job on that one. So, at any point here, we will begin. Uh, this is our, our new rolling dun, dun, intro. Dun, dun, dun. The more you know. Dun, dun, dun. Was that just a nine news thing in Colorado? People know about that. I don't know. I, th- th- I know. thought it was one of those networks. I uh, know. I don't know. It probably is a syndicated thing. So, Well, welcome to the podcast. Father John, Father Mike. Rome. Here we are, back in ordinary time. Still in Rome, Italy. All is green. Everything is green again. Um, but here we are. It's it's summer. It's officially summer. Yeah, the summer has arrived. I'm sweating, yep. and uh, <laughs> that to me is enough of a sign. Yeah, you're gonna have to remind me how I live, how I survived the last two summers in this uh, Mediterranean country, because at this time of year things start heating up, and uh, for our, those of us of northern des- uh, descent. We just don't do well in certain uh, latitudes. And so basically I have two options every night, I'm realizing, which is to lay in bed and sweat all night or turn on these janky old air conditioning units, which sound like a 747 is landing in, yeah, my, they're be- these in my bedroom. Yeah, heavy things that look like R2-D2. <laughs> is, R- is that the little one? I think so, yeah. Oh, man, they're going to hate me. The Star There's Wars a new people. one now, though, with the new Star Wars. Father Daniel Easterman would be... Horrified to hear that. We don't I know, remember we don't there was the like a soccer place. ball robot. Yeah. Hey, here's the Father Daniel Usterman. Yes, newly ordained. Newly ordained. Indeed. Cheers. Cheers. It's funny to think that that guy was like in college seminary when we started this podcast, and he was upset about the st- still is upset about the stylites being misquoted, and Daniel the stylite not getting his well, proper Well, Daniel deal. the stylite, pray for us. Pray for us. But we're very excited for the newly ordained guys, Father uh, Michael Friedel. In Springfield, Illinois, mm-hmm. right? Father yep. Jordan Dosh up in North Dakota, and all the uh, newly ordained fellows. Very exciting to see. So, cheers to the yeah to the new new crop. It is exciting. Yeah, that's is, this is like first first blessing season. Everybody's asking for the first blessing of the priests, and yeah, it's pretty exciting. And so, I'm also sad the uh, college kids all have left. You know, so our Bernardi kids, the uh, listeners, got a taste of little Bernardi life, um, which is funny. You know, I was getting some. They were talking about the podcast, and uh, I learned two funny things about uh, 19-year-olds who are listening to this. Number one, they confessed that they only listened to the banter and then turned it off. Oh, really? Isn't that funny? They don't need to learn anything. They don't. They just listen to the banter and turn it off. And then the other thing is they don't... Well, that's kind of encouraging for the banter thing. It's, hol- it's actually, <laughs> to the banter haters, this is like the ultimate sticking it to them. So I was like, hey, that's great. we got to talk about that. And then the other th- the funny, funny thing is the... Um, um, they don't listen consistently, so they just look for cool titles. So, Ooh. Um, well, that'll so, have to push me to. Well, yours are very creative because they were naming them like, "Oh, we like this one and this one and this one." It was like yours and Goebbels, and uh, they were like, "Your titles are totally, <laughs> really? your titles are totally lame." And I was like, "Yeah, I know." The problem is they turn How mine on you? for five minutes, and then they're like, "Oh, boy. but the only ones they turn on are the ones that if they're skimming through it, you know. Because you just, you know, you haven't Snapchatted somebody in five seconds. And so skimming through with the five seconds you have free and you're looking for a cool title and then you just clip it on. But if it's if it's a title like Monomania and the Cosmic Liturgy, <sighs> good night, you know, uh, the honor. 
as Goebel would say. So well, yeah, you got to have a flashy cell, you know. You got to have a real. So I hope tonight you've got we a could real do kind like of flashy, a flashy, flashy cell. A series of, I mean, there's something. There's like this typical stereotypical kind of critique of young people these days that they have no attention span because of these <laughs> Twitters and the uh, Instagrams and everything's so fast and short and everything comes in like glimpses, you know. And uh, I don't know. They sat in classes for no, hours. No, they're great. We're just giving them a hard time. And uh, yeah, they they, uh, they they listen, you know. Podca- the podcast thing is like, it's not, it's not for, I don't know, like... They, when I first was talking about it, they were like, what? Podcast? Who listens to podcasts? But I think it's kind of more of our generation. It's people, a People who like thing. the Seinfeld jokes and kind of, you know, get the think, yeah, 90s I mean, pop references and, you know. If you're, uh, especially like commuting, I, I listen to it a lot, commuting. Right. You know, you got to fill your time and top 40. <laughs> you can only do top 40. Keeps playing the same old thing. You can only, only listen to... Ed Sheeran, Shape of You, so many times in one day, right? We heard that in a cab, and it's been stuck in my head for like four days. And I'm like, oh, my gosh. I'm like reading Mariology in the library, and I got that song stuck in my head. And then I'm thinking to myself, how would that translate into German? Would that be Gestalt, or would that be Forma? And I'm like, oh, no. this is just nerd yeah, central. Yeah. I'm losing uh, my mind. You're so, embarrass Ed. Yeah. But we're almost at the end of the semester, and... Uh, you have finished, successfully finished, teaching your Greek class. They got the big final exam I have, yeah. next week, so that's pretty exciting. Yeah, I'm real proud of those guys. Yeah, it's uh, it's nice to be done. It is oh, a yeah. relief, and I am, I just feel it, you know, weight off my shoulders. I got full time to full court press this uh, dissertation work, and yep. it's really fun. I like it. Full court press, and then I have a thesis defense uh, next week. I turned in the big uh, thesis. This is like part one for our... You know, for those of you who've been listening to this, you know, you do a couple of years on a license and then a couple of years of uh, re- researching a dissertation, and then you, and then you're free of your Roman bondage captivity, um, and you become Doctor Mike or uh, what would they say in Germany? Er Doctor Pata. They love er titles, Mister Father, Doctor Michael Lawrence Rap. Or what was your? We were talking today at lunch. You got to have like a initials name, so you'll be like. No, no, no. I'm not taking that. M. Lawrence. M. Lawrence rap. F. Ramp rap. Francis. <laughs> Something like that. I'm just, I'm going to, yeah, I mean, it's got to be sort of that. this. <laughs> yeah, thanks. Uh, the, uh, I'm, t- I'm thinking of just dropping the initial thing and just being rap. <laughs> just rap. When you Lowercase, maybe? Just like. What about, I'm looking for that book e- by rap. already did that. Who's that guy, rap? Yeah, R E P P. So the second P really gives it. You know it what? I think that would really work. Really gives actually. it the, like, <clears throat> yeah, rap. R E P P. This guy's serious. You know? uh-huh. like short names with double letters at the I end. I don't know. Like do priests publish with their father, like the title? Uh, not in your world, I think. No. Exegetes, no, definitely no. not in my world. Although, you know what? You, you'll find uh, religious have the initials at the end of their name. Oh, uh, yeah. Okay. Occasionally. Not yep. all the time. Yep. Which some initials are better than others, right? Nuh-uh. No, I mean, like, they sound better. Like, I, I'm not excited about my initials as a... Oh, I see. Uh, sacred theology doctor. Yeah. Which would be... He's, you get, know, he's getting an STD. I'm getting the STD, and, uh, yeah, I don't know if I'll put that at the end of my that name. That is kind of just a funny, I'm the ir- only one ironic that, turn. You'll be SSD. That sounds a little better. So, mm-hmm. I want to be like OPP. I want that initial at the end of my early 90s. I don't know what I would go for. No. Well... What do you say? Let's uh, let's jump in. I'm I'm kind of itching to hear these nerdy topics tonight, and uh, 
Because well, I've got that covered. Do you want to start? <laughs> you want me to start? Uh, I, can we flip a coin? I do you have a coin. Um, let me flip. No, we got to flip something. All right. Uh, hmm. <laughs> what do we have in our reach? Flip that card. There you go. Isakov picture. Okay. Heads or tails? Uh, I'll do blank. Blank side. <laughs> yes, <laughs> blank. It that didn't flip at all. More like a frisbee. I wish they could <laughs> you, well, you win. Just threw it into the door. Uh. Well, it looks like we're going. Uh, we're starting <laughs> with mine. So um, I was joking. I was like, "What would I? What could I do? I'm gonna like pair Marian apparitions with like pasta Italian dishes or something oh, tonight." Yes. That's what I'm talking and about. I was like, "No, Mike's already done that." Or like gelato <laughs> flavors with like you know dogmatic teach. I got to do something kind of fun. I don't. I don't have anything creative. The chocolate chips in the gelato. The chocolate chips in the gel- in the gelato. Yeah. So, um, the topic would have been something along the lines of prior to this being called out by the college students, it would have been something like. Um, Modes of holding propositions according to John Henry Newman. And instead, nice. the title has changed in honor of Rebecca Messel to be When You Know, You Know. Okay. That's the topic. That's about love, falling in love. No. <laughs> the story behind no. the title actually comes from her first tattoo. Oh. Yeah. When You Know, You Know. When she knew, she knew. And uh, bam, that was it. And uh, so when you know, you know. But I want to talk about um, this book that I read uh, by John Henry Newman for this uh, class. I actually read it after the class was over. But um, oh, called yeah, The yeah. Grammar of Ascent. The Grammar of Ascent. Grammar of Ascent. A-S-S-E-N-T. Ascent. A classic, a modern classic. A modern classic. That a lot of people are talking about, but I've heard it's a hard read. It's a hard read. You know, it's funny because sometimes we recommend books on these podcasts and uh, we say, oh, you got to read this book. You got to read Kristen Lavern's daughter or whatever. There's a lot of people reading Kristen's Lavern. Yeah, it's great. great. I'm happy for him because it's Um, a great read. It's a great read. This one I'm not going to recommend you read. I don't (laughs) think you're going to enjoy it. I wouldn't (laughs) recommend it. I, uh, I hope you enjoy the podcast. If you really, really like it, go for it. But I'm just going to say to, you know, those of you who are like have five kids at home and uh, you know have like thirty minutes a day of free time, I would not not recommend. Yeah, uh, this is like a headache scene. headache kind of book. It's it dense. Is. It's dense. It's dense. It's so gonna make you stretch. We're gonna try and break it down for you tonight uh, to better or worse success. I better time this puppy because we know his lordship, Master Gobel, is always waiting, and uh, the eye the eye is always <laughs> watching for us to go over sixty minutes. Uh, he never sleeps. Um, so uh, we'll talk a little about the grammar of scent, and this is some heavy stuff. And so, and I'm I'm not exactly Mr. Energy right now, so this could be like a total total yawner. Uh, but we're gonna go for it. Feeling feeling. I think I can promise to stay awake if you can. I'm gonna really try. I'm gonna. Try. <laughs> if you start drooling on yourself, we've yet to have the <laughs> the presenter fall asleep during. I think there's probably been a few times when we have fallen asleep. But uh, yeah, oh yeah, yeah, okay. Yeah, yeah. John Freaker called me out. I fell asleep during spiritual direction on the phone with him one time, and he's like, "Are you sleeping?" And he Are says, you, "You kept saying things like, yeah, yeah, just pray about it." <laughs> <laughs> so if you That's start saying, good. just you pray can, about it. I don't think I could keep up if I was sleeping. Yeah. So okay. Grammar of Ascent. Here we go, baby. Grammar of Ascent. In 1870, a, a convert to the Catholic faith named John Henry Newman, who's a priest, um, has a buddy who loses his faith. And um, it's the brother of a friend named Pusey. Um, and th- so 
John Henry Newman was this amazing convert. It converted to Catholicism in the 1840s. Uh, he was like the stud young Anglican at Oxford, um, kind of like the guy. Everybody's mm-hmm. looking at because he was brilliant and just mm-hmm. awesome. Converts to Catholicism, which in Victorian England was like the, that was just like social, uh, in academic suicide. Everything about it was just, this is like the, the dumbest thing you could ever do. Right. Was become Roman right. Catholic. It's, it seems very backward. Right. And so he really suffered his whole life. And it'd be great to do a podcast on him. Actually, Father Evan knows a lot about Newman. We talked a little bit about Newman earlier this semester on that uh, Muscular Christianity podcast where he had that little devotional thing about oh, how yeah, to become right. perfect. So, but Newman called stick, himself. Stick to your, be faithful to your routine. Right. See? Routine. I, I like remember. You, I was yeah, paying attention. You were paying attention. Just pray about that. Yeah. <laughs> okay. Um, so Newman um, is he called himself not a theologian properly, but an occasional writer. So he would write books based on situations. So mm-hmm. he is dealing with this personal situation where his friend is losing his faith, has lost his faith, and has de- decided that faith is not a kind of knowledge. So you can know things scientifically. You hear people say this, like I believe in science, you know. Uh, but faith is just kind of, this is just like makeup land, like magic land, where we just, oh, the Eucharist, and oh, Our Lady, and kind of the Trinity. We just kind of make these things up. So Newman set out to write a book on basically demonstrating how not, how faith and belief is a structure of the human mind. It's part of the way that human beings think. Yeah. And it's not it's contrary to mode that. of knowing. It's a mode of knowing. Well done. For right? the previous title. That's right. So he... Uh, so he kind of sets out on this project to demonstrate um, what we would call the epistemological foundations of faith. That means epistemology is the philosophy of knowing. So what is the, what is the ways that we can say the human mind is structured in such a way that it does believe, that it, it operates in belief, that b- belief is reasonable, it's a, it's a f- form of knowing, and that faith, um, then supernatural faith, the gift of faith, is actually complementary to that and elevates that. It's not opposed to it. It's not La La Land, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's that's his project. That's a good project. <laughs> Sounds so, like a good project. So yeah, I think I'll come back. I mean, I'll have you come back to this, but there's that classic uh, fide, fides quarens intellectus mm-hmm. or intellectum, and and kind of the other way around. So. F- um, our project is both faith and reason, right? Catholics mm-hmm. are into faith and reason. Right. And there's always like faith seeking understanding and understanding seeking or being informed by faith. Right. This sort of reciprocity. But even that kind of sets up a, a right. dichotomy or something. Right, you know? right, right. So um so he's gonna look at kind of what is there is a reciprocity, there is a, a distinction there, but he's kinda looking at well, how are they kind of how do they work together? Yeah. Because they really do kind the of interaction work together. Yeah. So uh, so we're going to begin at the beginning, and we're going to hopefully move to the end here. So um, he begins with the notion of a proposition, right? So he says, the human mind seeks to know things, and what it does is it reflects on experience, and it formulates things that are called propositions. Mm-hmm. A proposition is a subject, the verb usually to be, and then a predicate, right? Okay. And our running example for this podcast will be this proposition, Dippin' Dots are the ice cream of the future. Yes. Right? I know that to be true. We do know this to be true. The question is, how do you know that to be true? And are you certain that that is true? And I believe you're quite certain. Uh. <laughs> <laughs> we'll come back to that. I, I like the example, but it's kind of a funny thing to be really certain about. So, 
Well, I hope I hope you can work. But they towards, are. I'm I hope with you. Can you. Work towards pseudo- Dippin' dots are the ice cream of the future. Okay, so what Newman says is there's three ways to formulate. There's three ways that the human mind thinks about propositions, right? And he calls it uh, interrogative, conditional, and categorical. Basically, what that means is the form of a question, the form of a conclusion, or the form of an assertion. Here's our example. You could say one of three different ways. Are Dippin' Dots the ice cream of the future? Question. Question. Interrogative. Interrogative. Dippin' Dots, therefore, are the ice cream of the future. But that relies on a previous statement. It does. That's a conclusion, right? Okay. You jump to con- it's a jump to conclusions, Matt. You, I see. There's, you put conclusions on it, and then you jump to it. No? Don't remember that movie? <laughs> no. I don't, <laughs> I don't know why you're calling me Matt. Uh, <laughs> this is a quote. Yeah. What is it? Office space. Ah, okay. Okay, so uh, the second one is the conclusion. Dippin' Dots, therefore, are the ice cream of the future. And then the third one is what he calls uh, an assertion, a categorical assertion. Dippin' Dots are the ice cream of the future, right? Yeah. So that's the three different ways that propositions present themselves to the human mind, right? And then what you have is three different ways that the human mind holds those propositions in itself, right? So it receives them and then holds them. And he calls those three things doubt, inference, and assent. Assent being A-S-S-E-N-T, right? Assent. And these three can apply to any three of the others, or they correspond to They one. correspond to those three different modes okay. of propositions. So the question is actually not technically a way of holding a proposition, because you don't actually have knowledge of that, right? Right. You're so if you it. say are... Are um, if someone says to you, "Well, I just, I just don't want to. Res- I don't really want to resolve. I want to hold in suspense the question: Are Dippin' Dots the ice cream of the future? You know, mm-hmm. um, that's that is what he calls doubt. Now, that's a different kind of doubt that we're going to come back to when somebody says, "I don't believe that God exists." That's right. not this kind of doubt. doubt. This doesn't seem. That seems more absolute. This is skeptical kind of thing of just mm-hmm. like, and he says, this is not a way of knowing. This is kind of a dead end. The, the human mind is not meant to just hold questions in play. You no. want to know things. I want to know things. I want to know what they are. I want to come to certainty, and I want to make decisions based on what I know, right? Mm-hmm. And so I don't just leave things in suspense. I'm not okay with just saying, are Dippin' Dots the ice cream of the future? I want to know, are Dippin' Dots the ice cream of the future, right? Mm-hmm. So he kind of sets that one aside right away. We're not going to worry about that, right? Okay. Because that's just lame. If you're just doing that, if you don't care, if you really don't care, the Dippin' Dots, are they or are they not the ice cream of the future? If you don't believe they're lying to you at the uh, Pepsi Center when you're standing there and it looks amazing and you don't care, is this the ice cream of the future or not? Is this going to be here in 30 years? Will it always be in the future? What does that even mean, right? Yeah. you don't care about these questions, then you don't love the truth. No, I don't know. So, Isn't that kind of like the Socratic thing, though? The questions. Yeah, and always and only the questions. I, I think this is kind of like the annoying undergrad philosophy thing. It is. Where... Life is about the questions. You know, you're not actually um, supposed to come to, you know, you're not supposed to know anything. You're just supposed to know the right questions. Well, it's like, well, yeah, but we wouldn't ask questions if we weren't made for trying to come to some conclusion, right, right? right? To some knowledge. And it's just absurd. And it's not the way that you, it's not the way the human mind works. And if you held everything in suspense, you would never make any decisions. You would never act on anything, right? So, um, you know, you think of the radical extreme of this would be like the Matrix. Like, 
how do we know anything exists? Oh, yeah. you know. Oh, whoa. Or the classic one in high school that I would always be kind of given by the lacrosse bros was, well, do you think that God could cook a burrito that was so hot that even he couldn't eat it? <laughs> oh, 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 stumped. Religion is totally foiled. I mean, that was it. It was just like, you guys are freaking stoners, man. Like, <laughs> that doesn't make any sense. Words don't make any sense anymore. So you don't just leave things in suspense. What we care about is knowledge. We want to know things, right? So that leaves us with two others, with the form of the conclusion to say, Dippin' Dots, therefore, are the future are the future of ice cream. What is the thing? <laughs> ice cream of the future. Ice cream of the future. Or this other form, this assertion, which is the model that you see at the Pepsi Center, which is um, Dippin' Dots are the ice cream of the future, right? Mm-hmm. And uh, so those are the two things that we're going to be interested in talking about, that Newman's going to be interested in talking about. And those he calls inference and assent. So... The difference between these two is you have two different ways that the human mind holds ideas in place, propositions in place. One is conditioned. One is unconditioned. Unconditional, right? Okay. So the first one, inference, think of like logic. Inference is conditioned by arguments, right? So such and such, such and such, premise to conclusion, premise to conclusion, and then you arrive at the answer, dip and dots, therefore are the ice cream of the future, mm-hmm. right? Yeah. So it's conditioned, right? You don't agree with that conclusion unless you follow from the logical... Right. You have to have premises and premises. they have to fit. They have to fit. It has to logically fit. Mm-hmm. So formal logic is going to be a type of inference, right? And that's going to be a certain way that the human mind comes to know things. You logically move from this to this to this to this, and therefore this, and then we can say, yes, indeed, I, I hold this proposition to be true. Dip and dots are therefore the ice cream of the future. Based yeah. on this argumentation... Right. They stay colder than any other ice cream. Amazing, miraculously. They stay in this weird spherical Nobody shape. Nobody knows where they come from, really. I mean, you know. They freeze Did it my come mouth. from the future? <laughs> Who came up what with flavors this? Is this? Yeah, what flavors is this? What is going on here? <laughs> Why is can, it so expensive? <laughs> you put all of these things together. The fact that these things are. Right. And then you say, this is the ice cream of the future. This is the ice cream of the future, therefore. Now, um, normally, inferences this kind of logical conclusions. Can I say deductive reasoning? Yeah, it's deductive reasoning. Um, And that would also be usually notional. So the typical form, it's not always like this, but usually it's conceptual. Logic usually works with abstract principles and abstract ideas, you know what I mean? So we're kind of, a lot of our life is working through these things. We're coming to know things. We're, a lot of our study is inference, you know? Yeah. Kind of moving from this to this to this, therefore to these conclusions. This is a lot of how we structure our work here, our research, right? So that's, a, that's an important yeah. way that the human when, mind if works. If there's a project of coming to know, it always has to follow this sort of... Exactly. You have, you have reasons to argue toward a conclusion, and you can communicate those. Right. Now, that's different. That's a conditional form of knowing. But that's not the only way of knowing. That's not the only way of holding propositions. The other way is dip and dots of the ice cream of the future. That is an assent, which is unconditional, right? Now you can say to yourself, that's absurd. Why would I just unconditionally assent to that? Well, think of a different question, for example. I was trying to explain this to my sister and brother-in-law. We had a great weekend in Switzerland last weekend. They were the best, but I sometimes kind of would nerd out, and they'd be like, Let's have another beer. <laughs> you know, like, okay, let's talk about something else. But I said to them, here's an example of assent, uh, an unconditioned assent. 
are you in Switzerland right now? This is when we were in Switzerland, you know? Mm-hmm. And they would say, yes. And I would say, are you certain that you're in Switzerland right now? And they would say, yes. Say, yeah. How are you certain? Do you know that you're in Switzerland? And are you certain that you're in Switzerland? And they would say, yes, I know that I'm in Switzerland. I know that I'm certain that I'm in Switzerland. And I would say, how do you know? And how are you certain that you're in Switzerland? Yeah. Assent. Right, because they're not like starting a process of saying, well, um, I got on a plane and then I was told that Switzerland looks like this. And, you know, like working through all of the logic. Mm-hmm. You, you don't have to do that. Your brain doesn't have to do that. It doesn't do that. That's right. Exactly. So assent is a kind of belief, right? It's not logically. You didn't logically reason to that conclusion that you are in Switzerland right now. But you know that you're in Switzerland right now, yeah. and you're certain that there's you're in Switzerland. There's a sign that says Switzerland. Right. People are talking like Swiss people. Another example of that, I just FaceTimed my mom, right? Now, am I certain that that is my mother? Do I know that that's my mother? Yes. Yeah. Am I certain that that's my mother? Yes. How do I know that that's my mother? And how am I certain that that's my mother? Was I there when I was born? Did I have knowledge of this? Did I logically work to this conclusion, right? So you can see what he's saying is that so much of human life is based on assumptions, is based on Mm -hmm. belief, right? And his classical, uh, one of his classical ascents is always to say, um, is England an island, right? Do you know it's an island? Um, And we would say, yes, I know that England is an island. Well, have you you taken a boat and have you gone around it completely to to confirm that it's an island? Yeah. And of course you would say, no, I haven't, but yes. I assent unconditionally to the fact that England is an island. And I hold that to be true. And that is a form of knowing. Yeah. So so if you start to reflect on human experience... But it relies somehow on trusting the information that you've been given. Bingo. No? Because it's like somebody told me that, and I've seen a map that somebody else drew, and everything makes sense. You You don't necessarily like work through all of these things, but there's, yeah, there's that kind of gathering of facts that your um, or impressions that your mind does and yourself does throughout life. That's exactly right. And the two marks of it are that it's rooted in experience mm-hmm. and that it's relational. It involves other people, you know. So how do I know that my mother, that Mary Nepple is my mother? Well, um, I guess at the end of the day, I go on trust that she is that that she is telling me the truth, that she is my mother, that this isn't just some kind of this mm-hmm. isn't the Truman Show, you know, or something like that, you know, where the whole thing is just kind of made up. Like, I, I fundamentally just, I'm very much so convicted that that is my mother. Um, do I have the evidence to prove it? Well, kind of, but it's a different kind of evidence. It's a different kind of reasonableness, but it's rooted in relationship, a knowledge through relation, instead of just purely abstracted um, structure, logical structure of the mind yeah. coming to things. And if if we didn't have this sort of, your mind jumps to things that you trust in, you would go crazy. I mean, imagine like all the possibilities. Somebody's impersonating my mother. Right. How did they figure out how to do her voice so well? Right, exactly. Oh, th- th- they put a picture of, they. you know, you just, I, I don't know. I mean, th- there's something like uh, just a, a feature of human evolution and adaptation that just m- simplifies this whole process and says this is kind of common sense. Yeah, I was looking for a quote as you were talking about it because that's exactly what Newman says. And one of the points he makes with this is to say, if you didn't operate, if you didn't act based on assent, based on this fundamental assumption, on these beliefs that are the very foundation of knowing, 
then you would never do anything. Yeah. Right? I wouldn't talk to her. I don't want to FaceTime you. I, I have no proof that you're my mother, and you're lying to me. How, how do I know that you're my mother? Right? So the human mind, this is the whole point, operates, the whole human, the whole human project operates on belief. It doesn't operate on skepticism. Yeah, most of the time. We it's don't just begin with untrust. We begin with trust, right? Yeah. The human mind begins yeah, yeah. with assumptions and not criticism. It doesn't begin with logical critique, logical kind of... Under, it begins with basic assumptions, trust, belief. Mm-hmm. And he calls that assent. Sorry, i got to look up this quote. And there's a lot of it, even mm-hmm. for people who are very skeptical about a lot of things. They're living their life... Trusting in lots of things, right? This, nope. Yeah. You know, this, the that that their car is going to run the same way that it did yesterday. That the sun is, you know, going to shine. That uh, everything. That people are who they are. That my m- my expressions are going to come out exactly like the way the way that I planned them to. Exactly. But here's what's interesting: is that in the modern period, there's certain philosophical uh, certain philosophers that reduce the human intellect epistemologically to just inference. The main guy is John Locke, mm-hmm. right? Who says, assent is not knowledge. There's no such thing as that. The only thing that we know is, so these, these British empiricists, this, this kind of school, they, they truncate human, the human mind down to this just one thing. And they say, this is the only kind of certainty that we can know. Why? Because that's scientific, right? When people are saying that, they want to say, I want scientific proof of that. Prove to me that God exists, right? Mm. A friend of mine just was out having sushi with her brother, and he basically kind of pinned her into a corner based on these prepositions and uh, presuppositions and said, just prove to me that God exists. Just, just prove it to me, and I'll believe. And it's like, well, you want me to prove it to you based on your presuppositions, which is a truncated and false understanding of how the human mind works. So I can't, I can't you're asking me an impossible question. Yeah. Right? So or if somebody's, you know, if you, if you take skepticism to an extreme, it's hard to prove that the wind exists. It's hard to prove that... Um, human beings landed on the moon. I mean, you can doubt a lot of things, but it's just not reasonable. <laughs> exactly. And here's, here's what Newman says, great line. He says, uh, actually, this is a paragraph, so hang with me. Resolve to believe nothing, and you must prove your proofs and analyze your elements, sinking farther and farther and finding in the lowest, lowest depth a lower depth till you come to the broad bosom of skepticism. I would rather be bound to defend the reasonableness of assuming that Christianity is true than to demonstrate a moral governance from the physical world. Life is for action. If we insist on proofs for everything, we shall never come to action. To act, you must assume, and that assumption is faith. Mm. Sweet, huh? Yeah. Just kind of like bam. Yeah. It's like a pow. I, I kind of want you know some kind of superhero move here. Like bam, <laughs> pow. Mic drop. Pow, mic drop. So the point of this is to just to defend. We should have real confidence to say that belief is a form of knowing. This is not unreasonable to believe. And in fact, this mm-hmm. is how the human mind works. And at the foundation of everything is actually this presupposition, this belief, these assumptions that nobody can prove based on logic. That doesn't mean logic isn't good. That doesn't mean it doesn't have its role. And we'll talk about that in a second here. But it means that there's a form of human knowing, which is an unconsent, uh, an unconditioned acceptance, judgment of reality as, it per- as we perceive it that is truly knowable. And mm-hmm. it's the basis for human action, right? Yeah. Nobody would ever marry somebody if they had to logically infer their love for them. This yeah. is impossible, right? right. But do you, you, can, know, you, do you know that they'll be faithful? Forever, but people know. Exactly. 
So, um, just like we said, inference is typically tied to um, like um, what we would say like uh, common or general or abstract ideas. Um, assent is usually real. So it's like real things. Now there's such a thing as notional assent, and he distinguishes this, but for our purposes, we'll just say the normal assent is to existential facts. My mother, England, you are right here, we are in Rome. These are facts. These mm-hmm. are singular, unique, particular things, right? Um, but that's, it's a different kind of apprehension. So the concrete, what's, what's cool about Newman's thing is he says the concrete is actually more real than the ideas. We think and you and I, you know, and we live in this world of abstractions and ideas and these things. And especially as an exegete, you have an interesting kind of interplay between the word and its historical circumstances and the human author's intent. And then these ideas, you know, about method and how do you approach the scriptures. Yeah, yeah. So but we're always trying to ground stuff. But and to, you ground it you in gotta ground historical. It. You got to ground it. And concrete, re- I don't know, data. Mm-hmm. And so real knowledge... The more real form of knowledge is, um, is to say that uh, something is real in, and um, exists. For an example of that would be like somebody could say marriage is good. Marriage is a good thing. Um, that's, that would be a notional assent, you know. Mm-hmm. Marriage is fundamentally good for a human person. Notional assent. Unconditioned, we can say that. We, you know, we believe that. We assent to that. But to say this marriage is good, that's a, more, that's a stronger assertion. Yeah. Right? And it makes the other one real, mm-hmm. you know? It makes marriages good real when I can see this marriage is good. Exactly. So here's an interesting thing. I was thinking about, okay, well, that's, that's cool. Okay, so assent is a kind of knowing. Um, but then the question becomes, well, what does that look like? Um, like, uh, so I'm thinking about Jackson or Madeline, my little niece and nephews, and, uh, you know, do they believe that God exists? Yeah, they pray. Actually, they were down in the Caribbean. Did you hear Katie tell the story? Mm-hmm. Katie and Jordan, they they were down in the Caribbean, um, and they they were uh, this is a, a business trip for Jordan's work, and they had a house, a babysitter, this kind of Caribbean woman, and uh, she watched Jackson, who's three, and put him to bed. And right before bed, Jackson just fires off, "Our Father, Hail Mary, Glory be, Saint Michael, the Archangel, prayer." And and she goes, mm, "That child knows how to pray." And that was kind of like mom moment of like, yes, you know, that child knows how to pray. Jackson believes that God exists. Yeah. So what does that mean exactly? What does that mean that if we were to say, is that reasonable? Well, he's not at the age of reason yet, but he has made an assent based in what? Mom and dad hold this to be true, and mom and dad are trustworthy. Therefore, this is a trustworthy thing. Mm-hmm. And what Newman calls... And maybe some intuition of the world as well. Right, right. You, know? you never know. Same thing that's like oranges are orange makes sense to somebody. Um, yeah, it's hard to know. It's not... I mean, it's probably primarily trust at that point, but right. it, it might not be entirely. Right. You know? We were just talking to Chris and uh, Julia Mooney, who we'll give a shout-out to at the end, but their three-year-old just hit the point where he's asking questions of like, what is that? You know. So mm. at three years old, you're starting to ask, what? what is that? What is that? Um, they want to know the essence of things. You know, that's what yeah. we would call it later on. So they're, they are, they're, they're, they're getting a sense for these things. But Jackson, when he prays at night, he makes a real simple ascent, which means a basically unconscious ascent, um, to, but one that is true. He, know, he holds that to be true. He doesn't doubt that God exists. He yeah. just prays. He says, God, ex- God exists, and we pray to God. And, uh, you know, 
And Z-O-G-O is kind of really connected to God somehow. That's what he calls me. Father John is somehow really connected to that. Like, this all makes sense in his mind, you know? Uh-huh. He doesn't sweat this stuff out. He doesn't have an cr- existential crisis over, you know? Now, but the question becomes, someday Jackson's going to be a 15-year-old, and if he's like his Uncle John, he's going to hate every moment of being at church and question why am I here? This is so lame. This is horrible. The music's horrible. The preaching's horrible. None of this is true. Why am I here? Right? So that's going to happen. Yeah. So this is what's interesting is there's a, there's a movement in the, in naturally as we grow, but this is with all of us at all times, to move from simple ascent to what he calls complex or reflective ascent. Okay. So there's two different levels to ascent. There is um, simple ascent which is an unconscious holding of a truth, mm-hmm. of an ascent, right? Um, such as, for example, and then a movement through inference to, uh, so you actually use inference to move to a more complex ascent, right? The example of this would be this question of, are we in Switzerland, right? That was a simple ascent that we were living out of. We were basing judgments on that. We're paying people in Swiss francs, all these different things, simple ascent. And then we start to speak of these things, and we start to say, wait a second, are we in Switzerland, right? And then we start to use reason, logically, inference, to derive to the fact that the most reasonable position is to say this is true, and we come to a deeper, more complex ascent. Does that make sense? Mm-hmm. So at a certain point, yeah, I mean, at a certain the- point, Jack's, sir, I guess this is what I'm trying to say, is that well, I parents see. have the task of facilitating a move from unconscious, simple ascent in the child to a complex ascent um, through inference, through reason, through conversation. And I think that that's, that's the tricky thing is like, how do you facilitate that? Because there is a kind of a, there is a disenchanting phase where you're like, what? This is all, I mean, it's important. It's part of maturing. Of like, is this actually real? And um, we'll just say certain traditions and certain schools like to facilitate that disenchantment more than others at the high school and college level, sometimes with good effect and sometimes with not, if you know what I mean. Yeah, I do. I mean, I think it's a touchy, it's a, it's a dangerous thing if you don't entertain someone's doubts and actually dialogue with a young person about the fact that they don't, everything's not making sense anymore right. and they're going through disillusionment. Right. If you play it like, well, just weather it out. Everything's great. You don't ever have to learn anything. Don't challenge anything. Then you're, you're going to end up with a frustrated person who just right throws it all away because they're not being um, taken seriously. And their actual, you know, m- their mind is not being respected as like coming to wrestling with these things, you know. That struggle isn't being respected. But on the other hand, if you try to provoke and constantly sort of drive in and sow doubts and introduce new problems and all of these things, you risk overcomplicating things and people just giving up. I can't make sense of this. Nobody can. Right. I had a number of students this semester, and I really love this. Um, Actually, Austin Lickie, Father Austin, who you've now met a couple weeks ago, I said, tell your conversion story, and he goes, I don't have a conversion story. And it was it was a <laughs> yeah, kind of a beautiful yeah. moment. You know, you're kind of you've had a similar thing like this. Yeah, so yeah. Just like the movement from simple ascent to complex ascent for him was quite seamless. I mean, there were some bumpy roads, but yeah. it was just a fundamental basic trust. Or just trust. like little pieces along it doesn't a long need, road. Yeah. You don't need to provoke and kind of unmask and overturn everything. Some of us did that naturally because in our foolishness and in our pride, like I did, and had to be kind of dr- more dramatically rescued. But I love 
kind of the simplicity of people who say, yeah, there really wasn't like a moment. It just kind of kind of came together. I just matured into it. And I read this line from Newman that really made me think of that because I think a lot of times people feel like, well, I'm not, I don't have the flashy kind of cool conversion story, you know? Mm-hmm. And it's, those are, those are kind of cool, but most of those people, honestly, they don't make it. And if they do, they still terrorize people like I do 15 years later, you know? So it's, and it's, don't, well, just a, a warning because I hate cliches. Don't use the cliche, you don't know anything unless you've really doubted it. Right, right. That is dumb. You know, if you you don't have to take it to extreme, right? And you like kill all your all of your belief or the good things that we've inherited. You know, like you inherit a lot of things by trust, and they are not all bad because they've just been given to you and they're not perfect. Um, but people do that; they're just kind of like, oh, you really gotta like drive against the right curve and you gotta you know, yeah, you gotta doubt hard or else you're never gonna believe in it. Well. This is a this is a great line uh, on that where he just says, and I'm thinking I have certain people in my mind who I just was so like moved by, just the way that their faith kind of developed in their own, they just matured in their heart, you know. And this is kind of the natural way. And I think previous cultures this facilitated much easier than it does now. We live in this kind of dramatic time of upheaval, cultural revolution. Everything's being kind of overturned. The family's being kind of uh, disassembled. Now gender is. Um, and uh, I think in, in previous centuries, it just kind of kind of more naturally kind of developed agrarian culture, just different. So anyways, Newman says this. He says, faith may still express the steady conviction of the intellect, steady conviction of the intellect. It may, be, it may still be the grave, deep, calm, prudent assurance of mature experience. Mm. I love that. I just thought that's it. Yeah, that's true. Grave, deep, calm, prudent assurance of mature experience because, and this is the cool thing, here's the next point, here's the flip, because we got to move here, we're already at moving already too long. Another name for complex ascent is certitude. Yeah. So you have certitude. When you arrive at a yeah. complex ascent in the Catholic faith, you have certitude. Now Newman says that's different than certainty. Certainty is something you could logically have you know, mathematically, two plus two equals four. You can have certainty of that. In itself, it's certain. But certitude is the subjective appropriation of that, the holding of the proposition, the, the firmness and the conviction and the stability. But in a real deep way. And the repose. Like everything checks out. Exactly. It all, it all kind of is there. Certitude. Mm. That's the gift of, of complex ascent. And he says that is requisite of the, um, of the life of faith. Yeah. Is that we just have this kind of fundamental certitude. I remember my uncle, one of my uncles one time asking me, he's like, Johnny, do you ever have doubts? You're just, you know, just doubts. And um, that's an interesting question. And I wrote to Don Briel, my professor, about this. I said, what does Newman do? Because I was reading Grammar of the Ascent, and it was two weeks ago, and we were, and Jesus was kind of just blasting the apostles again about their lack of faith. Yeah. So I was thinking, well, do they have certitude? And he and Briel said, yes, but the difference is the experience of faith is often not the certitude. So you hit these kind of times where it just feels like you think of Mother Teresa's story and just these yeah. decades of just no, she had no affective experience of certitude. But it doesn't mean that she didn't have this kind of deep-held certitude uh, that comes along with a complex ascent, one that has really been mm. naturally there, has developed and become conscious conscious through the um, work of inference. So 
And it's, it's, a, just, it's just like a stabilizing presence. Mm-hmm. So you're not always wondering, well, maybe I should be doubting. I got to figure things out. No, it's just, it's just real. And it's real enough that you base your life on it. You know, coming back to that action is, where, is really where life is lived. Um, we kind of sort these things out. We test things. We um, kind of try to make sense of life and ask the big questions really in order so that we can, f- we can decide how we want to live our life and how, what my next action should be, you know? Right. How do I relate to the world? How do I, you know, how do I le- relate to religion that is active in various ways? Um, but I think, you know, as y- once you get there, you can develop a pattern of just certainty. I don't need to sort through everything constantly because I, I'm confident, you know. I'm, I, there's that certainty that's underlying just the stability of life. It is, and that's, you know, when people talk to us, and are just shocked. People who don't have faith, and they just look at us like, "Why are you priests? Like, yeah. why would you do this?" Um, this and that, is, this and is people will genuinely say, "Well, have you ever gone through any doubts or whatever?" Right. And right. well, yeah, there's times, and there's also been like a past. More of it is in the past. It seems, it feels like for me. Um, but sorting through things, having to you know understand things and reconcile, and there is kind of struggle to make sense of things, but. But it's not doubt in the sense of a doubt is a an assent that God does not exist. Does that make sense? Mm. So it's a form of it's it's it's, whole, it's already it's, it's it's already a conclusion drawn somehow. You're making an unconditional assent into something, but it's irrational, right? And so when somebody loses their faith, so to speak, or kind of falls away, and they're just they have this repose and this kind of confidence that mm. they are right. It's because they do, because they are they are they have made an ascent, right? Um, and that's different than we talked about earlier about doubt as a suspense of the mind. But when people say God does not exist, um, what they 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 have made, they've made it's a conviction that they hold. You yeah, know? you and can they, live in certitude of something. You can that's live in nonsense. Certi- exactly. <laughs> you can be crazy. Exactly. But going back to what you said about um, staking your life on something and how it was kind of a no-brainer for us to like want to do the will of God, and then here we are becoming priests because, and Newman says this, the nature of what we hold in ascent is what's so powerful to us. That's what really moves humanity. That's what, that's what really affects us. And he says, many a man will live and die upon a dogma. No man will be a martyr for a conclusion. Hmm. No one, I say, will die for his own calculations. He dies for realities. Yeah. What he's saying is that we don't stake our lives on the logical inference of how we process through things. We stake our lives on realities, on our ascents. That's what determine the course of our life. And you can see how mm. when people choose this or choose that, we're not, it's not a logical thing. That's why you have these brilliant people who don't believe that God exists and brilliant people who do believe that God exists, right? It's mm. not just about who can, who can infer the most, who's got the most profound critical mind. It's, it's on a different level, you know? And yeah. it really comes back to trust. It comes back to this kind of fundamental, uh, can I make this unconditional act, you know? Mm. So, it's good stuff, huh? Now, what do you do? Okay, you just brought up the, I don't want to bring up like a long, super long uh, discussion topic, but this is, um, per- I think, pertinent, relevant to our day. People will stake their life, like you say, they will die for, um, what I think is a bad proposition. Uh, we have all of these kind of terrorist actions right now 
from people who are saying, this is what God wants. This is what my God wants. And um, from my perspective, I say, well, that's ob- objectively not true. Um, it's not, it doesn't come down to, you know, different people have different gods, and your God wants this, and my God wants something else. There's got to be something bigger and a reality. And, of course, I think I'm, you know, connected to that or whatever. You know, like I've assented to that. But um, what if assent goes wrong? I mean, I think that's part of the struggle is right. who do you trust when you start to see all these things? Yeah. And you say, well, you know, not everything can be trusted, you know? Yeah. Let me get. Let me start with another quote and then move into it. That's a very good question. Uh, here's another line from Newman on real ascents. He said, Great truths, practical or ethical, float on the surface of society, admitted by all, valued by few, until changing circumstances, accidents, or continual pressure of their advocates force upon them their, their attention. And it seems to me that the majority of people are, as Newman says, um, unreflective, what does he say here? He says, the majority of people are unreflective, impulsive, and unsettled. Mm. That's strong language. The majority of human beings walking around are unreflective, irreflective, impulsive, and unsettled, which means that they're not thinking, mm. and they're not being reasonable. And if you think about the combination of religious practice separated from reason, both in Christian and Islamic forms, and then reason separated from religion, and how it becomes so truncated just to inference, if this is the great inheritance of postmodern of our postmodern age, no wonder why the majority of people aren't able to put these two together. So it comes back to the question of faith and reason. Mm. So you've got this unreflective, unconscious assent to um, a violent religion, right? Which we have to own as well in our own history with certain moments. Uh, but violent religious acts that are irrational, and that go against the moral law, because remember, for Newman, everything's about conscience, right? It's about the con- like the conscience is real. That's how we know the divine law. Yeah. That's how we know the order of things, right? Um, but when you when you when you have religious practice being irrational and against the human conscience, what is the the natural dictates of human conscience, driven by some kind of emotional hatred, um, then you can see why it's just this isn't assent. Yeah. And if it is, it's a very simple ascent that's rooted in very unreflective people. Yeah, and that's why, that's why it's so important, the reasonable, critical process of moving to complex ascent and having certitude in things. Is so, it's so important. We have to have, we have, to have faith yeah. tested and deepened by reason. And I think it, 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 there is, yeah, he's, he's obviously, he's not advocating on the one extreme being overly simplistic and just taking things because I ought to or believe something or, or something like this, r- kind of religious truths. Someone else, I, I, I ought to trust them without thinking for myself. Or on the other hand, of criticizing everything and saying, I, will, I refuse to believe anything. And I think ultimately both of those are going to make you very unhappy and unsettled mm-hmm. um, when you can't, develop this sort of certainty. I think we want to move naturally toward the certainty where I can live my life in a stable way without you know, stressing over these kind of questions, right? And that's a great lead into my what I'll make as my final point, and then we're going to wrap this puppy up. Um, intellectual anxiety is a sign that you're not living in certitude. 
And think about, this is not just about the God question or religion. Think about just the day-to-day things, you know. Um, I was talking to Father Mike before we started podcasting about we met this great family today, and they have this three-year-old who's kind of running all over the place, and he's just funny. He's just a funny little kid. Mm-hmm. And same with my sister and brother-in-law. We were tossing his pet snail around. Passing, tossing the pet snail around. Um, parents don't have time to worry about stupid things, but I do. <laughs> I have a lot of anxiety around doing things right, convincing people things are right, fixing the church, all this nonsense. And I spend a lot of my life in anxiety. And what that shows is a lack of certitude around certain um, ascents that I've made. Mm. And I don't think, we're not talking about the big meta ascent here, but just you know, day-to-day things, confidence about this. And Newman says, one of the signs that when somebody comes is fearful, uh, marked by what he calls irradiation and impatience of contradiction, vehemence of assertion, determination to silence others. He says, these are the mm. tokens of a mind which has not yet attained the tranquil enjoyment of certitude. Those who are certain of a fact are indolent disputants. I thought, wow, this is what I want to be, an indolent dis- disputant. It is enough for them that they have the truth. And they have little disposition, except at the call of duty, to criticize the hallucinations of others. <laughs> and much less yeah. are they angry at their positiveness or ingenuity of argument. But to name names, to impute motives, to accuse of sophistry, to be impetuous and overbearing, all the things that Father John Neppel is, is the part of <laughs> You're men... You're not alone, my friend. ...is the part of men who are alarmed for their own position and fear to have it, approaches, have it approached too nearly. Oh, man. So that's the challenge. That's the way we close with. That's the challenge is to say, let's get to a place of certitude where we can just have a simple, humble confidence in the face of um, persecution, people who hate the faith, who reject it. And again, stand up for the faith, but don't... Just we don't have to be insecure and combative. We mm-hmm. can be really we can be people of, of dialogue and communion because we have great certitude that it's in fact real. The whole story is marvelously real. Mm. So, amen. The grammar of ascent. The grammar of Dip ascent. Dippin' dots are Dippin in dots fact are the ice cream of the future. The ice cream of the future, if we've learned anything. I was kinda thinking that maybe that like ice cream sandwich. Uh Klondike? Yeah. No, I don't know what they are. They're just wrapped in like a Wax paper, white wax paper. I didn't realize you have Love so much. You have so much intellectual anxiety, though, because you don't like sweets. So it happens. It's a sign of your know. lack of certitude. Dippin' dots are the ice cream of the future, ladies and gentlemen. Uh, and it's time for shoutouts, and then we're going to wrap this thing up. It's my my turn for shoutouts. Yep. Well, got your list. Oh, bang. My Look friend, you. Father Zach, maybe, who I went to a Metallica movie with Chris, <laughs> yeah. Father Chris Levzak and he and I. Uh, Zach, maybe, is about 10 feet tall. Um, his younger brother, who's also a priest, newly uh, ordained. Uh, is he a priest seminarian? He was in the collar. What was his first name? Hold on. Devin? Derek? Darjeeling? Uh-oh. All right. Anyway, so... Uh, maybe was really cool. He came, uh, he came by the house when he was on pilgrimage and said hi to us. And um, I just felt really honored by that. And it was fun to meet him. He's a cool guy, really nice. So while you while you're looking that up, I also want to shout out Father Tim Peters, the man, the doctor. I went to his uh, doctoral defense recently at the Angelicum. The what what do they call it? The Pontifical University of Thomas Aquinas. Does it have Thomas Aquinas in the name? I think so. Somewhere. Sorry, he's preoccupied. 
Um, anyway, he defended a, a dissertation on uh, Messianic hope, and uh, we've been talking about it for a few years, and he was a friend while living in the house. He's back in California now teaching, and I'm just really proud of him, so yeah. Um, shout out to you, Father Tim. Congratulations, Father Tim Peters. Sorry, I had to go to the corner of my room, because that's the only part where I get Wi-Fi, so um, I'd like to shout out to Claire Lococo who listens to the podcast, my favorite Lococo, and her sister Anne as well. That was a little bit of a joke. Yeah, so okay, Anne, I get it. But I was kind of, we're yeah, spicing yeah, up the I'm podcast. Uncertain. Hopefully they like it. Uh, shout out to um, Emily Brand. Father Olaf Olafsky has a uh, friend who's climbing Mount Rainier this July and oh. invited me to do it again. And I once swore I would never climb it again, but it's so tempting. But I was like, nope, I'm an adult now. i got to do research. So Emily, have an amazing Emily, climb. We'll be praying for you. You're impressive. I'm impressed. It's going to be awesome. Take a picture. Send it to us. Shout out to Nick Vance, another college kid, and his buddy Rob Williams from SPO, a missionary. Thanks for your work, Rob, and for listening to the podcast. And then uh, lastly, I want to shout out, it was uh, Drew, maybe. Yes, Drew, maybe. Drew I maybe. got the D right. Nice guy. Sorry, Drew. Thank you. That's my brother's name, too. How can I miss that? Come I on. I want to shout out my father, yeah. lastly, uh, who is about to be ordained to the diaconate. Right when on. This, yeah, this comes out, Napa, we're super proud of you, man. This will come out right after he has ordained a deacon, and I get to vest him, and we're playing in the first mass already, and I can't believe it. It's just incredible. So he's going to be a he's going to be a fantastic deacon. So proud. This of you, guy Dad. has been a wonderful father. Yeah, he is a great man, and uh, you can just see the joy on his face when he uh, talks about becoming a deacon, serving the church. Tremendous, it's great. Yeah, it's just the incredible, incredible thing. So pray for my dad in these uh, days that are coming, and. Uh, Thanks, what about Dad. this couple? Did we name the and couple my mom today? Too. The couple today, yeah. Chris and Julie Mooney and their kids, Christopher and Therese. Little yeah, Therese. Okay. Happiest little baby ever. She was they were, super chill. They were great kids. Christopher, cute little guy. He listens to the podcast. He calls us the guys. Whenever some, whenever you hear his, uh, whenever you hear his voices on the radio, it's the guys. Hey, there's <laughs> the guys. It's the guys. That little kid recognized me. I felt really proud. Yeah. That was like my proudest day. That's it. That's it. Radio so, personality. Yeah, so that was great. And there's been a number of other people who have come through town, and we're sorry we haven't been able to see you. Um, we've been kind of slammed with finals and finishing courses and the whole bit. So thanks for reaching out. We always love hearing from you. CatholicStuffPodcast at gmail.com. Uh, like us and find us on Facebook. And remember, Dippin' Dots are the ice, ice cream, cream of, of the future. future.